Entrepreneur on Fire, episode 325. Prepare to embark on a journey with today's most inspiring entrepreneurs. Be courageous, take action, ignite. Have you heard of TV Talk? TV Talk is America's premier network for TV show discussions, delivering entertaining recaps of your favorite shows the very next morning. Tune in by downloading the iOS or Google Play app today. Okay, Fire Nation, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, David Fugate. David, are you prepared to ignite? I am. <laughs> All right. David is the founder of LaunchBooks Literary Agency. He represents a wide range of fiction and nonfiction and has successfully sold books to more than 40 different publishers, generating over $20 million in revenue for authors in the process. I've given Fire Nation just a little overview, David, but take a minute. Tell us about you personally. We want to get to know you and then give us an overview of your business. Yeah, I, I've been an agent now for uh, right about 20 years. I started uh, as an intern working for free in college and uh, did that for about six months. They said, you know, we, we love you. You have to come back and work for us. Uh, and the job market back then, this is 1991, people don't realize was pretty poor, uh, maybe not as bad as it is now. But uh, I said, sure. You know, I was thrilled to have a job and I started for $5 an hour. Um, with my freshly minted uh, degree in literature from University of California, San Diego. <laughs> um, and I uh, have been doing it ever since. I worked for two different agencies uh, here in San Diego. And then uh, in 2006, uh, left to go out on my own uh, and form LaunchBooks. Um, I represent, uh, as you mentioned, a, a wide range of stuff. Really, whatever I find compelling or interesting personally. Um, it, it really has to be something that I care about that I think is really fantastic. Even if I come across something I think will sell. I don't take it on unless I really have a passion for it myself. That was the whole point of me uh, leaving these other agencies to do my own thing. So I work with people like Chris Gillibo, um, who, who many people know is the author of the best-selling $100 startup. Uh, Kevin Mitnick, who's the world's most famous hacker. Um, he had a New York Times bestseller with Ghosts in the Wires. Um, people from magazines like Forbes, Wired, The Washington Post, The New York Times. Um, are very often doing the kind of stuff that I find interesting. Um, and, and so, you know, really whatever kind of catches my fancy, you can almost look at the books that I've represented as a sort of backwards biography because they tell you a lot about what I think is cool or interesting or, or just particularly fascinating. Um, and so what I do, obviously, is I, I, you know, look out for the business interests of these authors. I sell their books to publishers uh, and try to make sure that they maximize uh, their writing careers. Uh, and so that's really kind of how I view my role as a, a helper, almost an assistant to try to make sure that they get everything that they deserve because any, any kind of writer, anytime you're, you're doing that for a living, it's a tremendous amount of work. And so, um, you know, I look at it as my goal to try and help them. I found that fascinating that you said that you look at the works that you've actually been included upon as a backwards biography of source. That's just really cool how you phrase that and how that's just the ability that you've had to follow different passions that you've had along your way to really only pursue the projects that you feel like you resonate with. So I really want to dive more into that later on in the interview, David. But before we do, you have a pretty interesting, let's call it mantra of source or just maybe way of thinking that I really found fascinating. It's not a success quote, but take it away for us. 
Yeah, I, I never assume malice of intent when incompetence or laziness or just plain overwhelm will suffice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so break that down for us, because I love that from beginning to end, but that it really says a lot in very few words. Well, book publishing is sort of a uh, impenetrable uh, business uh, area for a lot of people, and a lot of times authors will feel that if something's not going the way they want or they're not getting the response they want, um, that the publisher is somehow against them or that book publishing is sort of aligning itself against them or that, you know, there are sort of these other forces. And it's tempting to think uh, when things happen that someone is trying to do something negative to you. Someone is, is out to get you in some way or try to sabotage you. And I've been doing this, you know, I've represented more than, you know, 1,300 books and have been doing it for a long time. And and what I find is that that's almost never the case. You know, there, there's almost never anyone who is trying to do something uh, negative towards another person. It just doesn't happen. What usually happens is it slips through the cracks. They forget. They make a mistake. You know, something gets lost in translation. It's usually that. And so, you know, if you get to the point where you are assuming that someone is doing something bad, it never works out well. You know, because you're approaching them in, in a sort of accusatory way. And nobody ever responds well to that, especially if that's not what they were doing. Um, and so the few times where I've gotten lured into that, they've been mistakes, you know, and, and I've realized, wow, you know, that's, that's not the right way to approach it. Um, you, know, you sort of have to have respect for other people's at least good intentions, even if they don't necessarily do it exactly what you'd like. I definitely think those are great insights and a great way to go about things in general. And I would actually like to kind of ask for your opinion and really kind of maybe talk to Fire Nation for a couple of minutes about how you've seen in the past five to 10 years the transition go, because you are right. It used to be such an impenetrable society before where getting a hold of publishers or getting published and having your book get out there to the masses was so difficult to kind of get in line. A lot of things have obviously changed with the Kindle publishing platforms and iTunes and even Nook joining in. I mean, I had an idea for a book. I wrote it in one weekend. I published it in Amazon and it's still the number one selling book on podcasting in Amazon. And I did that really within 36 hours of having the idea. So the barrier is super low right now. I mean, how have you seen the industry change or not change in this time period? Yeah, no, you're right. Well, I, if I were you, I'd probably tell people I took longer to write it. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm all no, about transparency, David. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's changed radically. Um, uh, you know, it, it's funny because I often tell authors when they're struggling with what they should do or how they should go about it, look, this is the best time in the history of the written word to be an author. Wow. This is, this is the best time. Since the invention of the printing press, since the invention of, of, of the written word, this is the best time because it's no longer a question of if your work is going to get out there. It's how, right? It, it, you know, there's nothing, no one can tell you no anymore. So whether it's through Kindle, whether you just want to self-publish via PDF on your own site, whether you want to do an audio book and put it up, or, you know, however you want to do it, it will be done. It's just a question of how and how many people you'll reach and, and those kind of things. So um, I think it's been a change for the better. You know, obviously there are entrenched interests in every industry and, and when they're threatened sort of by these kind of changes, things can get a little bit dicey. Um, but hey, you know, adapt or die. That's the way it works, you know. And if you're not changing with what's happening, then um, that's on you, <laughs> you know. So, so for me, you know, it's uh, you know, th there's that old uh, uh, curse, you know, that says, "May you live in interesting times." Um, you know, publishing is definitely going through interesting times, but I think it's all to the good in terms of, of ultimately how it will impact uh, getting your message out to people and, and how many people you can affect with your writing. And so, for me, I see it as as an entirely good thing. And something that I'm encouraging and, and, you know, working on being a part of rather than being worried about. 
Are you seeing the old stalwarts, the big publishing houses, not adapting and dying, or are they starting to make this transition? It's funny. They're, they're changing some of the things that they do. Some of them now are having, for instance, they're doing digital-only deals right. um, with authors. Um, they're, they're changing, but they change a little bit slowly. The, the main thing that they have going for them, there's, there's really two things. One is revenue, because they can pay in advance, and sometimes they can pay quite a large advance for the right author and the right idea. Um, and so that's always going to be attractive, you know, if, if you're, you're looking at self-publishing a book versus getting paid 100000 or $200,000 uh, to, to go with a traditional publisher, that's that's obviously pretty tempting. The other thing is reach, really. Um, you know, Kindle publishing, I think, is an amazing thing and has revolutionized the industry. But you're still missing out on some 2,700 plus bookstores that are out there. Um, and uh, there's a lot of differences between a book that's self-published and one that's traditionally published. A lot of things that a traditionally published book can provide that are still different. Um, you know, than, than a self-published book will do. So a lot of the stigma is gone, thankfully, you know, from self-publishing. That was a, you know, used to be really associated with vanity publishing. It was kind of a dirty word. And that's pretty much gone now, at least in the U.S., not necessarily worldwide. But, um, you know, there are still advantages that traditional publishers have. So they're mainly focusing on, on kind of uh, taking advantage of those things and really stressing that. Um, and it's really about reaching a larger audience necessarily than, making the most revenue because there are some authors who are doing incredibly well self-publishing and publishers are having a hard time figuring out how to make them an offer that makes sense, you know, because they're making so much money um, doing the books directly um, so that the other things, you know, it becomes a question of what is your ultimate goal? Do you really want to reach the most possible people? Do you want to make the most revenue? How important is speed um, versus having, you know, edit a whole team of editors and marketing people? I mean, you, you really have to sort of weigh the differences between the two, have a good idea what you want as an author, and then make your decision based on that. Uh, but it's nice to have options. <laughs> Definitely nice to have options, David. And thank you for kind of explaining those options, because I think that's still kind of a foggy place for a lot of people who are thinking about self-publishing. They think that maybe that is the only way they can go. But no, you're showing that even the big boys are starting to open up different avenues and doors to bring in these self-publishers and to really continue to add more value to them with advances and with more rights and with more stores, the 2,700 stores you mentioned. That's a huge number. So a lot of really cool things. And David, what I want to do now is kind of swing this interview back towards you. What has been thus far has really just been about your experience and your insight, which is incredibly valuable. But Entrepreneur on Fire is really about the journey of the spotlighted guest. And that's you, David. And you made some pretty interesting decisions in life. You decided to break away and go out on your own so you could really follow your passions and do those type of things, which I respect so much. And I know a lot of listeners do too, but that comes sometimes with a price. Sometimes that comes with that safety net being pulled away. And there's failures and obstacles and challenges that we face because of that. I face them every day. So share with Fire Nation an obstacle or a challenge or a failure that you've had, one of those specific moments, and how'd you overcome that? Well, my obstacle actually did have a direct dollar amount attached to it, and, and that was $25,000, which is how much money I lost the first year when I went wow. out of my um, I had, as I mentioned, I worked for two different agencies, uh, the second of which I worked for for almost 12 years. Uh, and by the time I was getting ready to leave there, I had sold more than a 1, 1,000, 1,100 books. I had a lot of sort of backed up revenue um, that my clients' books were generating. And the way that that particular agency was set up, when I left, it had to be a clean cut. 
everything that I had done in the past, I would get no financial credit for going forward. So that was a, a huge obstacle for me because I knew that the day that I quit, all my income would stop. I'd have to go out and find all new authors. Uh, I'd have to go out and find all new projects and I'd really have to start from scratch. You know, from literally from, from day one, you're at zero, you've got nothing, go. Uh, you know, and, and there was no, there was really no way for me to even transition to that because I was working at an agency. I was going to quit and start another agency. I can't really start recruiting authors for my new agency before I've left the old one. So I really had to just quit and then go. And that was the, that was the challenge. So I, I knew that that was coming. Um, and I had, fortunately I had enough money in the bank to cover me, but I mean, you know, there comes a certain point at some point in that first year where you're thinking, okay, how much money do I have left? How long can I continue to do this unless things turn around? Um, book publishing also the, the revenues tends to come in quite slowly. Um, so it takes a while to build up. So yeah, it was, there were some, some really difficult times there where, um, you know, I was sort of thinking, okay, how is this going to work? The other thing is I was changing my business completely. So at, at the previous agency I was at, they focused a lot on computer and technology titles. And you could do a lot of those very quickly. Um, you know, I think a, an average year for me would have been 80 or 90 titles represented in a year. Uh, whereas the kind of books I wanted to do were completely different than that. Now I might represent 20 books in a year or 25 books in a year. So it's a very different model. Each of those books takes a lot more time. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a completely, uh, different way of, of doing business. And, and so, um, you know, deciding to go out and, and really follow my passion as far as that goes, you know, it was a, it was a big challenge. So David, take us to that actual time when you really felt like you had turned a corner in this new business. What was that moment and what prompted that? You know, the, the, the funny thing is, uh, the, the moment that I, I felt like, okay, this is going to work was when I landed a big client. So it was a CEO of, of a pretty significant company. Um, I actually flew out to their offices uh, to interview with them. They and were this is all in your own dime? This is all in my own dime. I, and I had never flown anywhere to meet any author <laughs> before, right? right? So this you know, this was my new thing. It was a big deal. Flew out and met with them. They really liked me, got along well. Uh, and, and so when I got the call from them to say, yes, we want you to be our agent, it, it was really strange because when I called my wife to tell her, um, I actually cried. I, I remember just being so overwhelmed. And until that moment, I didn't realize that I had any doubt because I had been an agent for, you know, 14 years at that point, 13 years. And so, you know, I knew what I was doing. I knew how to do it. I knew that I was good at it. But I, it, I didn't realize that I had that doubt in me that maybe it might not work. But in, when I got that call, um, that confirmed for me, okay, this is going to work. I'm going to be able to do this. Um, and so even though that it wasn't a tangible one, I hadn't made a sale yet, hadn't, hadn't uh, generated any revenue from it yet, just that happening was a big, big turning point for me. It really made me feel like, okay, I'm going to be able to do this. I can do this. Love that, David. And what I want to move into next is an aha moment because just like we do face those obstacles and challenges and failures Every single day throughout our journeys, we also do have those inspiring moments where light bulbs come off and sometimes it causes our business to pivot or shift in a certain way. Have you had one of those light bulb moments, David? And if so, what was that moment and what actions did you take to take that moment and turn it into success? It was sort of an unexpected thing for me. You know, when I quit my previous uh, agency and went out on my own, I suddenly did not have that much to do right away. Right. Um, you know, as, as an agent, very often, uh, you rely on your, you're in all these different guides for agencies and you're, you know, on different websites and people contact you with ideas. Well, 
since I had just started fresh, I wasn't in any of the of the guides. I wasn't in on a new website. So I, I you know, wasn't getting a flow of projects coming. There were a flow of people pitching me ideas. So what I realized almost instantly was that I had to go out and find the things that I thought were really cool. I had to actually go out, find the author, convince them that they should do a book, convince them that I should be their agent, and then actually work with them on their idea to make it happen. I really had to become uh, an engine of creation rather than just sort of being someone who sits back and waits. I really had to go out and find the stuff. Um, I remember one in particular, there was uh, one of the things that I did was I looked a lot online, but I also read magazines and I tended to look at magazines that were a little off the beaten path. There was one I found called Ode, O-D-E magazine. I had never heard of it, but it had this amazing cover story about uh, the city in China that had at that time like 30 million people and it was just beautifully written. And I thought, okay, this is an author. I've got to contact. I've got to go in and, and see if he might want to do a book. Turned out to be this guy, Jonathan Watts, who was uh, with the, uh, the Guardian, uh, the UK paper. And he did want to do a book. Ended up selling his book to Scribner and selling, I think, 12 or 14 different translations around the world. The book did quite well. And, and it's a book that I'm incredibly proud of and you know, an author that I'm happy to be associated with. So that was something where I realized I just I had to go out and make it happen. And that's how I found a number of my best projects over the years is just going out and finding stuff. Powerful. And if you could just boil down, David, into one clear lesson you learned from that experience of taking action, what would it be? Uh, it's really not to be afraid of rejection, right? You know, there's this fear of so you're going to go out and people are going to say no to you and, and you know, it's not going to work. And, yeah. But, you know, what I, what I realized quickly is that, look, you might have to ask 10 different people and if only one or two of them is interested and if only one of them works, that's fine. That just means you have to ask 30 or 40 people, you know, in, in a three or four month period. Um, and so it became something where, uh, you know, I figured as long as I thought what they were doing was interesting, I should ask them and I should go out and try and do it. Um, and that I had what it took to make it happen and to not be concerned about what might happen or what, you know, might, might not happen. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it just having that, success a couple of times with those kind of things and then really getting a taste for it and saying, look, I can, I can actually envision the book that I'd like to see. Then I can go and find the right author and I can make it happen. David, have you had an I've made it moment? You know, I've, I've had a number of sort of I've made it moments. I, it, it seems like different ones come up all the time. I think uh, the first six-figure advance book that I sold with my new agency uh, first book I had on the New York Times bestsellers, that was really a big one, you know, because yes. there's there's such a credibility factor involved. And not only just the credibility factor, but if you're reaching enough people, you're selling enough copies to be on the New York Times bestseller list, you're you're impacting a lot of people's lives, right? You've come up with an idea that people really respond to. And, and it's just such a uh, it's such a verification of what you thought was true. Because so many times, you know, what what I do is so subjective. You know, whether or not I think an idea is interesting, what the author does, what editors do, you never really know until you subject it to the market, until it comes out and people look at the idea or read it and either love it or don't love it. And, and that's a difficult time. And so when you have something that does that well to make the New York Times bestseller list, that's that is a huge, huge thing. So, David, I want to bring this interview to present times right now because you are working with some really incredible people, many of whom you've already mentioned, and you have a lot of exciting projects going on. Share with Fire Nation one or two things that are just really exciting you, that's really just getting your passion flowing right now. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a never-ending process for me. I mean, you know, once I do a, a project that is that I really love and that I think is fantastic, and I do it with an author who I really respect and and you know, kind of value what they do, I always have to be immediately looking for the next thing. You know, it really never uh, it never stops um, because I've always got to have the next project to do. You know, I've always and, and I've always got twenty or thirty different things in different stages of development going on. So for me, it's it's there's necessarily not necessarily one thing or one particular project. I've, I've got always a ton of stuff. I get to talk to really interesting, smart people all the time. And so for me, it's, it's a, you know, it's just an ongoing thing. I mean, I really love what I do mainly because of the people that I get to do it with. That's the, that's the big thing for me. I, I'm, I'm really all about the ideas and, and, you know, kind of these compelling solutions that people come up with these amazing perspectives. And so that's what excites me is sort of not necessarily one project I'm working on, but what's that next thing that's going to just be super exciting to me. Um, so I suppose that's kind of how I look at it is what's the next thing. So David, you came on my radar because of world domination summit. Can you share with fire nation, how you became involved with WDS, what your involvement is and what you think about a conference like that? So the World Domination Summit is a conference that was put together by Chris Gillibo, um, amazing blogger, writer, world traveler. He's a client of mine. Um, I started working with Chris, I think, about five years ago uh, on his on his first book, which is called The Art of Nonconformity. Uh, and of course, Chris, being Chris, you know, while he's in the midst of traveling to every country in the entire world, he calls me one day and says, "Hey, I'm going to do this conference, and I'm going to have all these people come out to Portland, and it's going to be great. And you know, you should come." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Oh, okay, of course, of course, I'll come." And, and so that was uh, that was how it started. It's uh, World Domination Summit is is it's funny when you tell people what it's called because they sort of look at you like you're a little bit crazy or like <laughs> you might be you might be a, you know a terrorist in training or something. Um, but no, it's really this amazing collection of free spirited world travelers, bloggers, world changers, all these super fascinating, really positive people who are trying to in some way change the world in, in, a, in a positive fashion. And so it's, it's really different than any conference I've ever been to. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and, and, you know, I've been there all three years. I, I don't even, Chris doesn't ask me anymore. He just tells me that I'm going to show up and what day I should be there and when I'm going to be speaking. Uh, and so, um, <laughs> yeah, so, so that's how I got involved was just having Chris as a client uh, and, and basically him making me come up and, and talk to people. Um, but it's led to a number of projects for, for other attendees from a World Domination Summit and speakers. Um, I'm working with uh, with a, uh, several different speakers who spoke this year on, on upcoming projects. So um, it's uh, it's an amazing place, really fascinating people, and, and it's the most interesting, most uh, enthusiastic conference I think I've ever been. It's like really like no other conference. I'm going to have to second that. This was actually the first year that I ever attended. So I missed year one, which was somewhere around three to 500 people. And then year two was about 1,000. And then year three this year was 3,000. Am I pretty close to those numbers, David? Yeah. Yeah. I think the first year was, was yeah, a little over 400, 450 or something like that. But yeah, that's... So the growth has really just kind of been exponential and as the word spread and people want to be involved. But I can definitely second your notion that you said, what an enthusiastic conference. I mean, we had people getting up and dancing and we really took over Portland. I mean, there was not necessarily a world domination, but it was Portland, Oregon domination for a little while because we were hanging out there the last night in the square. And again, there were thousands of people in the center of Portland, Oregon, just outside of this park having a great time. So 
what a place to go and to surround yourself with just other nonconformists, so to speak, people who are looking to make a difference in the world and impact others. And David, you gave a rousing speech at World Domination Summit. I know a lot of people took a lot of great things away from it. And I just really want to talk to Fire Nation quickly about the conferences in general that are surrounding them and, and the importance of doing that, of going out and surrounding yourself with other people who are like-minded, with other people in your fields, whatever industry or niche that may be, there are things going on around you right now that you can be involved with that are going to propel your business. Because just like David said, when he takes action and reaches out to people, sometimes maybe it takes 10 no's, but that one yes can be a game changer. So think about that. And we'll think about thanking our sponsor, TV Talk. Do you love watching shows like Survivor and The Amazing Race as much as I do? And you better believe I love talking about them afterwards too. Enter TV Talk. America's premier network for TV show discussions. With the simple tap of a button, you can fire up your smartphone or tablet TV Talk app and start listening to entertaining discussions about your favorite shows. TV Talk has all kinds of great features too, like the talkback button, which you can use to record your comments on your favorite shows. Also, Talkback Share, which allows you to share your talkback clips with your Facebook friends and Twitter followers with the simple push of a button. During the 20-minute episodes, you'll hear straight from one of your favorites, like past guests who host The Big Brother Show and former contestants who host Survivor, The Amazing Race, and The Biggest Loser Shows. Available for free for the iOS and the App Store and for the Android devices on Google Play or at tvtalk.com. Download the TV Talk app today. In Fire Nation, this is just a great segue to my favorite part of the show, the lightning rounds. And this is where I get to provide you, David, with a series of questions, and you come back at us, Fire Nation style, with amazing and mind-blowing answers. Sounds like a plan? (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) What was holding you back from becoming an entrepreneur or just breaking out of the mold that you were in? Yeah, it was really knowing that I'd have to start completely from scratch. Um, that that was that was the biggest challenge for me was starting from zero after having done what I, you know, done my profession for so many years. Um, that was really daunting. The other thing was I didn't know what I didn't know about running a business. I, I don't really consider myself an entrepreneur as such. Um, I'm just an agent, and I was just looking for a better way to do it, a more personal, more. Um, uh, caring, closer way of working with my authors. And, and that's what I came up with. So I didn't really start a business just to start a business. I'm, I'm not of that kind of entrepreneurial ilk. Um, I just did it because it seemed to me to be a better way of working. Pushing the reset button is never easy and it only gets more difficult. So the sooner, the better. David, what's one specific action that listeners can take in the next 24 hours to bring them one step closer to their dreams? I would say just whatever it is that you're planning on doing, start now. You know, the longer that you wait, the more difficult it will become, the more sort of negative inertia you'll build up. There is no perfect time to do something. You really just have to jump in, start immediately, uh, and go from there. Um, you know, there, there was, uh, you had mentioned something before about, you know, if you sort of wake up, um, you know, in a world just like Earth, but you don't have any contacts and you've got, you know, only $500 and an internet connection to your name, what do you do? Well, you just start. You know, for me, if in my business, I'd, I'd go out and immediately start looking for incredible people that might be able to do a book. Other people, they just need to get started because you know, very often I find that your idea will need to change, but you can only learn so much while you're planning. You, know, you learn a lot more by doing, 
and you can iterate quickly and, and be a lot more successful much more quickly, but you've got to get started. David, do you have an internet resource like an Evernote that you're just in love with you can share with our listeners? When it comes to, to book publishing, the, the premier thing that I would recommend to any author, anybody who's interested in publishing, is a website called PublishersMarketplace.com. Uh, the, the amazing thing about this site is this is where all agents and editors go to post the deals that they've done. So, uh, you know, when I sell a book, uh, I'll put up a little paragraph about that book on the site. Um, and the, the tricky thing about book publishing is it's a very slow-moving industry. So if I sell a book today and it takes the author nine months to write it, it takes the publisher a year to publish it, you're not going to actually see that on the shelves for, for 18 to 24 months. Right. But if you go on PublishersMarketplace.com, you'll see all the deals that have been done, so you'll know what's in the pipeline. Um, it, it's also a great way to find editors, a great way to find an agent. Uh, it's really an amazing, amazing resource. And, and they've been uh, the site's been active, I think, since about 2000, maybe 1999 or 1998. Uh, so they've got 10 or 12,000 deals in their database. So you can go, you can really do some amazing research in terms of finding out if your idea has been done before or if somebody's working on it now. You can also, uh, it's, it's just a great way to get a sense of what the actual market looks like rather than looking on bookshelves or on Amazon, which is, you know, 12 to 24 months behind. Well, Fire Nation, you can find the links to this resource and everything else that we've mentioned in today's episode at eofire.com slash David Fugate. David, if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? This is a no-brainer for me because uh, obviously I work with Chris Guillebeau. Uh, I'd recommend The $100 Startup. Um, one of the reasons I find that book so amazing, and it's funny actually, when Chris originally came to me with that idea for a book, he, it was within two other ideas that he wanted to do first and said, okay, I have this idea, and then I want to do this idea, and then I want to do this book called The $100 Startup. And I said, no, 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 that one you have to do right now. That's the <laughs> one you have to do first. Um, just because it was just immediately such a powerful idea. And, and I, I recognized right away that, that this was going to be huge. And, and of course, you know, Chris being who he is, um, knocked it out of the park. But it, it's an amazing book just because it, it tells the stories of so many different people who have started really with nothing. You know, a computer, a hundred bucks, you know, maybe, you know, some of the, I think some of them in, in the book, you know, might go up to a thousand dollars. But it, basically not very much money um, starting from next to nothing not really having a big business plan or having any sort of great grand vision necessarily, but getting started right away. And then it, it really runs through the steps of, okay, how did they do it? What did they do first? What did their financials look like? How much did they spend? How much did they make? Um, and goes through that in a really super detailed way. I think Chris got information from detailed information from more than 1,500 entrepreneurs for the book um, who, had, who had started and then selected the best ones for the book. But it, it's it, really an incredible resource for any entrepreneur, especially those who are starting without a lot of money. Wow. Well, that is a great book. I have read it cover to cover two times. I'll probably make it three before 2013 has come to a conclusion. <laughs> and David, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey, sharing your insights into publishing and to giving some inspiration to authors and some amazing resources. Give Fire Nation one parting piece of guidance and then share the best way that we can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Uh, the way to find me is just at launchbooks.com. Uh, I'm also at launchbooks on Twitter if anybody wants to connect with me there. Um, uh, but yeah, in, in terms of uh, a parting piece of advice, I, I would just tell people to, you know, I mean, it, it's an easy thing to say, follow your passion. But what I would say is make sure that your passion connects to something that people want in the world, right? It's not just enough 
to to want to do something. Otherwise, everybody would be actors and, and professional athletes. <laughs> you, you know, you really have How'd to you find. Know? <laughs> you really have to find something that that connects with people and that people want, and and find a way to make your passion work for you. So. Um, you know, it's, it's easy. Everyone would, you know, say, Oh, I'd, you know, I'll be a stand up comedian, but no, that's not how it works. You know, you really have to find something that, that you can offer the world of value and find a way to connect that to people. And, and that will inevitably lead not only to success, but also to you being happy doing what you're doing. Um, which has, you know, really been what I've been lucky enough to do. Um, and hopefully we'll continue doing. David, Fire Nation is well aware. They can find the links to everything that we've talked about at eofire.com. Click on the podcast tab. You're hanging out in the archives. And thank you, David, on behalf of Fire Nation for being so generous with your time, your expertise, and experience. We salute you, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, John. Fire Nation, have you been waiting for the right time to create your podcast? Well, guess what? That time is now podcastersparadise.com is the place where you will find a thriving community of podcasters, an ever-growing library of incredible video tutorials for every stage of your podcasting journey, and access to private webinars where today's top podcasters reveal the inside scoops and tactics. All this for one price. What are you waiting for? Go to podcastersparadise.com today to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us today on Entrepreneur on Fire. Head on over to eofire.com for full recaps of every show, our amazing blog articles and resources, and just plain fun. Your entrepreneurial journey awaits, so prepare to ignite. 